the pudding, and the pudding in this case is a football. Boom! Eat my goal! The goalie has got football pie all over his shirt. Welcome to this episode of the Down the Pool podcast. Um, this is another review show. Uh, this time, me and Gary are looking back to the amazing game that was on Sunday until the last kick of the game, pretty much. And then it, it wasn't so great. But uh, um, yeah, I'm, I'm I'm kind of wondering, I'm kind of looking forward to hearing Gary's thoughts on this one. So uh, welcome back to the show, Gary. Cheers, Anne. Thanks for having me again. Yeah, no worries, buddy. So. Um, Let's start off as we normally do with uh, lineup. So, what did you think of the the lineup? Like, I, I felt like Tommy Wilson Jr.'s hands were kind of tied with what he had to go with. But uh, what did you think of our lineup? I think we've settled on something fairly consistent now, which is for the first time since 2019, we're we're really seeing a core of players who who play most games now, especially in midfield, like the the Jeremy and Rampy. Two. I know they don't play exactly next to each other, but that kind of consistency, and you know it's going to be Lamoth or Daniels if he's fit alongside them. Um, defensively, I think, like we've talked about before, there was never any drama with Charlotte not playing a couple of games at the start of the season because it was always going to be a case of Restrepo, Santos and Charlotte sharing centre-back minutes. And now you can add so into that mix as well, potentially Omar, so... Yeah, that that's um, that's pretty settled as well. It'll be two of those three most matches. Fernandez again, you know, you're getting a seven to nine out of ten performance out of him every game. So right back is absolutely settled, which is good really because Jake Ruby has seems to have disappeared over the past six months. I know he's had injuries and you don't know how fit he is, but but it's nice to have that insurance policy of Fernandez who looks who looks physically fairly robust and able to to play. Wednesday to Saturday, Wednesday to Saturday. So um, front three wise, it, I, I think we're really starting to settle on the front three now as well, not just in terms of performance, but in terms of productivity and the numbers they're putting up. Um, if you think about the last four or five games since, since Morelli got injured, really, you've got Salter's got two, Bent's got two, and I think Gussie has got three. So you've got three forwards now who are doing exactly what you and I and basically everyone who followed Wanderers was saying the other attackers had to do. And that's pitching in with not like a not like a huge head-turning amount of goals, but a goal every two or three games, which is what you want them to be producing. So you, you can't really change that. Um, Marshall could have come in, I suppose, but I think, yeah, the, the three of them are all playing really well at the moment. So, yeah, glad they didn't change that. Um and the only other thing, I guess, there's still the ox basket, ox basket thing, but it's a toss up between them. So that's not a great surprise either. So I, I was going to ask you about uh, Gander. Like, so Gander started again. Um, uh, and do you know if there was a an injury to Tabby or do you think it's just because he kind of, I don't think he had it. It's kind of tough to say that he had a shaky start, but obviously it's a step up and he had those kind of like a couple of errors. Like, do you think that Steven's kind of like trying to spread the minutes between him and Gander so there's not as much pressure on them? Do you think that's what he's trying to do? Because I think Gander gives us something totally different in the fact that he's he's more of a solid defender, I would say, whereas Tabby, I think, is more of like a, a wing back and he's going to bomb forward. Like, you don't, I don't, you don't get that from Gander. Gander, like, I felt like at times, 
which I thought was really odd is that he was almost playing as a center half because whenever they had the ball, he was like pushing right into the middle in alongside Peter and, uh, and Santos. And then when they switched the ball over to his wing, he'd have to sprint. And Jeremy was being asked to pull back to mark that, that wing as well. I, I thought it was a very strange setup that we had that he was playing so narrow. And like, like at times there was like two Calvary people on that, that side and Jeremy was being asked to like pull back. And uh, it was, it was kind of odd. What did you think of it? I think that's uh, our, our two eights, so Jeremy and Daniels or Jeremy and Lamoth. That is part of their MO, I think, is to because usually we do push the fullbacks up really high, and instead of making them go up and down, up and down, up and down, the eights tend to split so they cover them pockets the fullbacks have, have left open. So I think that is like a feature of our game. Um, I, I must admit, I didn't notice that with Gandra, I wasn't really. St- paying complete attention to him all match, but that is interesting if he was doing that, I guess. It would surprise me if that was instructional because we seem pretty disciplined with fullbacks playing high in yeah. line with the eight. So yeah, uh, sorry, in line with Rampy at six. It, so it was, that would be interesting. It was so, it was so odd just that like, uh, there was times when uh, Escalante was going to be left on his uh, like his own because he was switching sides and stuff like that and he's been left on his, his own on that side and um, I, I just I really noticed that a couple of times that he was just kind of like sitting in right beside where Peter and Santos were. So he was almost like an an odd man. It was, it was just a it was just something I picked up on when just watching the game. It was just that was a bit odd. But um, you know, you, you kind of mentioned there like Oxner and and Basket and stuff like that. So obviously one of the big things on you started a big Twitter fight there as you always do every weekend. <laughs> this is something completely <laughs> uncontroversial about us playing quite well and yeah, it's a massive uh, so, row about Ox so, underneath it. So. so so, you know, like people were defending him and uh, and some people were saying he was at fault for the goal. So what, what did you think of uh, his performance? And do you think that um, it's it's unfair, the, the kind of flack he's been taking a little bit on, on the goals? Um, the first goal, I, I think, was not his fault in the slightest. Um, second goal, potentially he shouldn't have come for that. Like it felt like, it felt like, there was already, I think it was Charlotte and already someone else, maybe Restrepo there. And they, Klomp's a big guy. So I, I think what happened was they all, and he was, he got the assist for the first goal as well. So I think they all panicked a bit on the second goal because he was open again. Um, but the, the first goal I didn't think was his fault. I, I looked at the first goal again and we, 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 we use zonal marking, which I don't really want to get into like whether that's good or bad. It's everyone disagrees on that. Um, but yeah, we use we use zonal marking, and that was what went wrong. Cavalry took advantage of that, so we were marking zonally. Cavalry like kind of they lined up four players in a. It was almost like a in a in rugby. You have the what's that called when you throw it in? Um, that the, thing. What the the, the line in or something like that? Isn't it? Yeah, whatever that is. Yeah, so I don't, I'm not an egg chaser, so I'm not really into rugby. But yeah, um, <laughs> so yeah, they kind of had a lineup formation like that, and which. When you're marking zonally, it's, it looks quite weird because you just see you've got a lot of players just standing there in space. Um, I'm generally fine with zonal marking, to be honest. And if Dorado worked with Benitez, it makes sense that we're using that now because Benitez was always big into zonal marking, wasn't he? Um, and Dorado's obviously learned a lot from him. So, yeah, no, that's fine. Like, I don't really have an opinion on which one's better. But yeah, the first goal kind of came from that not working as well as it should have done. 
And once the first ball was won by Cavalry, that pulled players over because they then looked at the ball instead of staying in their zones, which vacated a big hole in the middle of the penalty area. And that's why that was scored. Like Ox, that ball came at him too fast without much room for him to actually stop it. So, yeah, I don't think the first one was his fault. Yeah, I, I definitely the first one was not his fault. I, I, I picked on that myself. Um, I, I definitely know it was like, I, the first thing I said to myself was like, it looks like they're markings only. But the thing is, though, when you're markings only, like, I mean, you, you have to work out where your zone is and work out like what you're actually doing in your zone. And there was, a, I think there was like three, there's three different uh, cavalry players that weren't being marked by anybody. And it was just like Peter, who's our biggest defender, like almost at the back post. And then somebody else was beside him. And it just felt like they were confused about what they were trying to do. And once that ball, like twice Clomp was allowed, like so much room to run in. You can't leave a guy like that one marked. It's just going to cause you trouble. And I, we had trouble. And I think it's probably one of the first times I've seen us like have issues with set plays. We're usually pretty solid at set plays. And I think you're right that I, I, I would also say that it's probably the Dorado thing because it, it is a kind of, um, a continental, a continental football thing in in Europe that zone Americans is bit. It's kind of it's a big kind of a faddy thing, but I don't think it works. I'm not going to get into the fight with you about it, but yeah, I don't. I, think, I haven't got an opinion either way. I, to be I, honest, I, mate, I, so. I really feel, I really feel that like when if something's not broke, don't fix it. And I think that the way that we've been, we've always kind of defended set pieces with the height that we have back there. We and like with Rampy put into the mix as well. We never had an issue with it, so I don't understand why we need to mess around with it in the first place and it left Oxner really exposed that like you have Dan Klomp who's their biggest player probably like having a, a good four or five yard run out of ball with nobody mm. touching them and the same thing happened in the second the second goal as well we were almost kind of like zonally but the same thing again like Akeem Garcia was I think I, I, meant, I mentioned it earlier on like, Akeem, like watching it back Akeem saw Klomp was free and then pointed to somebody to, to mark him Nobody saw what he was doing to point at him, and then he kind of just wandered off and did didn't mark mm. anybody. And I know Akeem is like five foot six, and Dan Klump is six foot four. But any sort of pressure on the ball at that stage would have put him off. But he pretty mm. much had a free header at that stage, and it, like I know he hit his back or whatever like that. But it's like I, I really hope that's something that they look at during the week at training and stop. <laughs> I just I don't mm. want them to do it. I did not need to, uh, to to get into the zone of marking. It's too it's too advanced for the level of football that we're at. I think. Yeah, I I, I see that. Yeah, I th- I think. And again, I really don't have an opinion on which one's better. I never have, to be honest. Um, but I would say that our goals. So cavalry don't zone a mark. Cavalry mark man to man, and our goals expose the flaws in that system as well. That's true. So it's like their goals expose what's wrong with zonal marking, and our goals expose what's wrong with man to man marking. Because for both of our goals, I think the second goal is Trafford. I can't think who it is on the first goal, but they're both marking Salter, who literally just makes a little inward run and then peels and goes around the back of his marker. And they're ball watching. They don't realise he's peeled around the back. And then he's at the back post to for the first goal to head it back into the middle and for the second goal to chest in and shoot. So, yeah, both both systems were exposed pretty well by the opposition, I think. I, th- I thought Mason Trafford was, like, very culpable for... Or, like, it was great that he did it, but I, I just think that he just got caught ball watching. And then, like, he, what, what, he just got drawn in towards the ball. You know, he saw that... There might be a flick on coming on and had he stayed with his man like he, he he 
that goal wouldn't have happened. But yeah, I, I see what you're coming from. But I def, I'm kind of old school, and I just I, I've never been a fan of zone American. The play that we had, like I thought again, like we were creating a lot of chances again. And I think, oh, this sorry, this draw hurt, but it didn't hurt as much as some of the other ones because I really felt that we'd done enough in this game to to warrant the win. Like I mean, like Salter had that po- chance to hit the post that might have done a little bit better with and obviously like Ryan Robinson had that thing at the end when he um when he had like a kind of chance to run so what 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 did you think of like our, our chance creation in this one did you think that we're like Cowboys a really good side uh, I think they're like even with the injuries that they've had they're a good team and they're really well set up so were you happy with how well we were able to create chances yeah I think we had 17 shots on goal we had a few big chances as well um, and it, it, like you said, it's it's the opposition. I think with Edmonton, we I think we were both pretty happy with the attacking performance. But there's always that caveat of they had had two days rest. They travelled weak side anyway. So to see us do it against Cavalry, who are a bit of a form side at the moment as well. They've beaten Pacific over the past few weeks. Edmonton, I think they'd won the last three going into that game. So they are a really good side, very well coached. They, A lot of them have played under Tommy for a few years now. So they really know their jobs. They really know their system. Um, so to to produce a performance like that, which, and I thought we were absolutely worth the three points there, 100%. So to put in a performance like that against that level of position was really encouraging because I think that was, I think if you've got like um, reasons to be optimistic checklist, like we've been checking off a lot of those things lately, but doing it against one of the best two or three teams in the league was the next thing we needed to check off. And I, yeah, I think we did that against Cavalry, um, who I, I know they had injuries, but it wasn't like they were down to their bare bones. They started a really good side out. Um, so yeah, re- really good attacking performance, pretty good defensive performance apart from on set pieces as well. Um, so yeah, very, another promising, the, 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 I'd say the third promising performance in a row. I think one of my, one of my favorite parts of the games was watching the midfield battle. I, I thought it was so intriguing to watch, you know, like I thought Simmons had a pretty decent game. The uh, Tory's like such a good player, like Moosey's a good player. And then, you know, I, I thought it was probably Daniel's like probably least effective game I've seen him probably play. He kind of was on the peripheries of an awful lot. And I just think that was just down to was this kind of a, a hard slog of a game. And I don't know whether that's mm. his type of game to be involved in, but he still had a couple of moments like flashes of, um, uh, of really great play, but yeah, like like Ramper sat up against uh, Latourian Simmons was uh, was just fantastic to watch. <laughs> on on uh, a lot to say there. Well, on Daniels, I thought it was interesting. I don't know if you noticed this, but when he got subbed off, Rampy was really making a big deal, trying to get the crowd to really applaud him and re- like yeah. He as Daniels was walking off, Rampy was kind of pointing down at him and like gesturing to the crowd to give him a big clap, um, and I just was thinking why he was doing that. And it may, I, I think Daniels is probably a confidence player and he's one of those players, if he feels a lot of love, he's going to really explode. And I think Rampy was just trying to like whip up a bit of that. Um, yeah, he, he was, he was fine. Like the first half he was quite good, but second half he faded a bit. It wasn't, you're right. It wasn't his sort of game. It was more of a physical battle rather than open spaces for him to drive into. But yeah, the midfield battle was fascinating. Actually. I thought, um, I thought, I thought Akeem, I know Akeem isn't a midfielder, but I thought his defensive work in this game was was yes. fantastic. He just sat on Simmons 
and didn't let Simmons play. Like, like we obviously know that Cavalry, they like to build on the ground. They like to go from defence through Simmons and then Simmons will filter out wide or whatever. And Akeem was just really, really disciplined, just sat on him and followed him the whole game. Um, so he Akeem, some of the defensive stuff, um, sorry, some of the attacking stuff he done was good, but defensively he was fantastic to do that. And um, he added to us getting just about getting the better of the midfield battle, I thought. Yeah, I I, I thought it was um, like probably his best game of the season so far. I think that he like, do you know like when you, you see a player and they're kind of they don't have like they're lacking in confidence and they're trying different things and it doesn't come off and the like great Akeem a lot of the things he was trying in that game were coming off for him and I think it just really helped them uh, build his confidence um, the, he, he was moving quite well wasn't he as well yeah like, just, like, like carrying he, his body he definitely like we, we kind of mentioned this before but he definitely looks a lot fitter and I, I think that's a, a huge part of his game like for for what we need him for is to like that part of the press being able to track back and kind of disrupt stuff like that. Um, and I think Salter did it very well too. And I think like, like once again, he had a, an incredible game. Like he's, he's on fire right now. And um, I'm, I'm really glad for him. like, he, once again, he was like really narrow. And I think that anytime you get the ball and he, he like, I don't think I like, I've, I kind of saw flashes of him being able to be players before, but the last couple of games, like, like every kind of like little flicky does or every like little, tricky does to get past his player it's coming off for him and mm. it he just looks like a, a totally different player it's insane you know he does it's, it with literally he, he like because he's not that he's not exceptionally fast is he so when he beats a player he always he has to use his brain to beat players so he does it with little feints and little drops yeah. of the shoulder and yeah just really clever sort of subtle stuff there, there, there was something that i i picked up on with just with akeem so like I, I thought like I, I watched him like he was gassed like like he was he was bollocks by about I think the 80th minute 85th minute and it really he showed... was doing so much defensive work yeah. as well I think but, but why why didn't Stephen Hart sub him that's what I don't understand like, and it's always been a kind of criticism that's been leveled at Stephen and sometimes he doesn't use his subs as as well as he should but like when Robinson had that chance when he like broke free towards the end. Like Akeem just couldn't keep up with him, and when mm. and I think that was part of the problem when he got to the box, he was looking for something to lay it back to. Realized there was nobody, and then he tried to be uh, clump and clump took it off him. Um, I I just like I just don't understand sometimes like why you would keep like it was quite obvious to anybody that was watching it that he was fucked. <laughs> you know what I mean? I think, so, with, I think with Akeem, he's the only one who you can who the ball sticks to when you like, if you want like a long out ball to, yeah. to, to like chest or feet with his back to goal. So him and Salt are the only ones really that you can fully trust to keep the ball and protect it. So maybe that was the thinking, but yeah, he did, he did look tired because he worked so hard the whole game. Um, maybe he thought Robinson a bit young, a bit inexperienced and he just wanted someone experienced on to deal with those nervy yeah. last few minutes. But again, we know we know we saw what happened so Stephen kind of mentioned that in the, the the press conference afterwards that um like somebody had said to him about like Robinson taking into the corner and he's like yeah you know, it, it was up to the uh, experienced players to tell him to do that well I, I think that's kind of unfair on many levels because had he gone on and banged a goal in everybody will be like screaming like how amazing it was and this the, the second goal had nothing really to do with like what he did and going into the corner, it was like, it was just such a comedy of errors of, you know, like, um, like Gander was obviously like probably fucked himself at that stage. He was bollocks and he got re- 
torn pretty easily by uh, whoever it was was at that. I think it was uh, was a Peoples that came on or whoever. Yeah, Pep, I can't remember his name. Yeah, yet. so so he he like got inside him pretty easily and he felled him when he actually didn't have to because Restrepo was covering him and, and Restrepo probably would have uh, come across. It was just so many like we've talked before about like how little things lead up to big things mm. and it was there were so many things wrong on that lead up to that. Like oh, yeah. it's it kind of frustrating. With with the Robinson thing, I mean. Yeah, I saw that quote as well. And retrospectively, yeah, he probably should have taken it to the corner. But I know how I was feeling at that time. And not <laughs> one part of not one part of me was going, take it to the corner. Yeah. I was thinking you're one on one with a guy who's probably a bit gassed as well. You're quicker than take him on and score. Like, and only afterwards, I mean, Shep actually said to me, like, why the fuck didn't he take it to the corner? And but I, I didn't even cross my mind at the time. So I can't imagine if you're in the moment and have the ball at your feet. I don't, especially like a young guy as well. Yeah. Plus um, you've got, plus you've got like 5,000 lunatics, 5,500 lunatics <laughs> screaming at you to go on. You know what I mean? Like, cause I, yeah. cause I, cause I was the same. Cause like, there's not, not one inch of my being was like, why the fuck did he not go to the corners? Cause like, I, I think that maybe he, if he had got his head up a little bit and laid it back to somebody maybe, but like mm. at the time I was like, go on my son. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Run my boy, run, go for go. Yeah. One, definitely. So I, I do feel from there. Like he, he, he did what I think we'd have all done. So no worries there. Uh, on, and on Gander as well. Yeah. You, you're right. So, I, so you see after it happens with Gander, after he gives away the foul, he straight away turns around and it looks like he's about to have a go at someone because in his mind, no one was covering him. So I think he didn't get a shout from Restrepo or didn't realise Restrepo was covering. And so he didn't have a picture of what was behind him. And he thought, fuck, if this old boy gets past me, then he's got a clean run on goal. And I think that's why he made that foul um, because he just didn't realise that he was okay and he could afford to give it away there because he had cover. Um, We we kind of talked a little bit about the goal and stuff like that, but I definitely feel that we're definitely on the right, track with this mm. you know like i mean obviously it hurts like that we we concede in the last minute and it's against calvary which we don't have a great history against and all that kind of shit but like i just i i was kind of dejected but also happy coming away for the fact that like we pushed them so far and it was only just one lapse of concentration at the end that kind of cost us like uh, like this i just the i was kind of really worried at the start of the season like where we were going and what we were trying to achieve. And as you, as we said, and what you said, like, I can see what the plan is, you know? And it's like, it's just moving the pieces. Like if one piece comes out, the next piece that comes in is able to uh, kind of knows the job that they're supposed to do. And I mean, like, I'm really looking forward to the Forge game now. Like, you know, it's. Uh, yeah, yeah, for sure. It's like the, the team looks, the team looks really coherent. Um, Even like where, you know, like Peter Shala came in and Peter's, a different footballer to what Restrepo is and it still kind of worked really didn't it yeah you needed him there against the again it sounds funny saying that now because we conceded set pieces but you needed him there against the big players yeah no I I, I definitely agree I think we, we're a much better team than we ever have been and we're playing much better football than we ever have done I think where I would disagree and I feel like we're switching roles here a little bit actually and we'll be <laughs> in the really positive one because um, just like for me I I I I wasn't happy after that game. Like I, I recognised it was a good performance, but I was I was really grumpy after that game. And I, as you know, I went straight home. I didn't yeah. want to do do the press conference because I was in a really bad mood. And it's because it happens too many times. We we lose or we lose we lose points in the last five minutes. 
not even 10 minutes in the last five minutes. And it's, it just happens so much that it's, it's like, it's, it's a fluke. feature, not, it's a feature, yep. not a bug. Um, and it needs to stop because if you look at last season, if someone in the discord, I think it was Jerry made a list of all of the points we'd lost through goals in the last five minutes. And if you add even half of them points back on, we would have made playoffs comfortably last season. Already this season, we've conceded late against Pacific. We've conceded late against Ottawa, now late against Cavalry. And it's something we really need to iron out. And I, I almost don't want to talk about it because I think the bigger deal you make out of something like this, the more it becomes a thing and that seeps into the players. Because players, they see stuff on social media like... The, it becomes a thing, doesn't it? And it seeps into them and it creates this nervousness and then it happens again and it steamrolls. So yeah, I know I'm massively, massively positive about this team this year as probably anyone knows who follows me on Twitter knows, like, I really think we're good and I'm, I'm, I'm positive actually we're going to make the playoffs and have a good run at it. But we need to stop conceding goals late on. It, it's going to cost us again if we don't. And It's, yeah. a, it, it's definitely a... Uh, yeah. Like it's a game management thing, as I mentioned there. Like you know, like I, I could see from the side, and I, like I'm not Stephen. I'm nowhere near Stephen Harris. Like he's an amazing coach and all that kind of stuff, and he's been done amazing things in the game. But I could see that Garcia was gassed, and if you're asking him to be the person who's been your first line of defense, like it's not. It's it's if he can't make any runs or he can't do anything like that it's just it's just a wasted spot on the pitch you know what i mean and it's like it, mm. it's, I, I feel like that's our issue sometimes is that we don't make the right substitutions at times um and I, it's it's always i think that's been a feature that we're our game management and our, our substitutes are never seem to be at the right times when we actually need them and it kind of it, it changes the game quite a lot and i, I think that's um, you, as I said, like you could see that certain people were gassed, and you know we've talked about this before about like how much like Rampy's been asked to play like mm. ninety five minutes every week. It's like, well, not every week. It's like one hundred eighty minutes every week, pretty much at this stage. Right? I, so, I hope with him. I hope. I hope now Polisi's fit again because Polisi can kind of do what Rampy does. Yeah. In, I mean, Polisi is very comfortable being a six on his own, like Rampy is. I don't think he's quite as good with the ball as Rampy, but he can do the defensive side of it just as well. And yeah, so he's, he's a good, he's a good option to give Rampy a bit of a rest, which well, I, I've, I've been thinking, I've, I wonder how we're going to manage minutes over the next two games with Forge and Toronto, because neither of those games you can put out a weekend lineup for, can you? And I guess then it's about looking at our looking at our first eleven and going which position is there the least drop off in quality in if we then go to our backup. And that's like, that we, we kind of we 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 both said it the last time that the league game was more important to us. Like for me, it was to us. Yeah, this one like it's kind of I can see, like it's a little bit different because it is TFC, and I'm sure all of the like the starting eleven like they might, like they want to be playing against Toronto, right? And it's like how do you how do you as a coach and this is where like being a coach is really difficult like how do you manage expectations from players because the forge game we're at home we drop points now against calvary like had we won against calvary it probably might not have mattered as much mm. we need to win that game and it's like what what you do? if you're Stephen hart if you're going to put you into his shoes what do you do it's <laughs> an excellent question i i'm not sure i think 
I mean, he'll have a lot of information we don't have. He'll know how many kilometres X player ran in the last game. He'll know how close to the red zone they are with injuries because his physio team will be knowing about any like little niggles players have and things like that. So obviously that will factor into it. Um, I, I wonder as well how much it will be horses for courses because Forge... I think Forge are the only team, I might be wrong here, but I think they're the only team we changed formation for last year in the league. We always, not always, sorry, in one or two games against them, we switched to a back five instead of a back four um, because he, I think he really rates them in midfield. And I think Forge have got the best midfield in the league, but like Becker's outstanding. Um, Anchinoti, I can't pronounce names. Yep. Anchinoti Johnson, yeah, him, he's, he's a he's a brilliant player he is like he was the best player i saw at the grounds last year um he's phenomenal very underrated too isn't he like yeah uh, hugely, kind of hugely under the radar kind of guy right yeah so them too like they've got such a good midfield um that i think he pays a lot of respects respect to that midfield and will try and clog up that area so they can't play um so yeah there's that question whether he wants to do that again against forge there's the question of where can Toronto be hurt? Like, I, I don't. I don't watch much MLS to be honest, so I don't know what kind of team Toronto are. I know they're not. They've not been playing very well recently. Um, I know McNaughton can be got at because we, he's had a few nightmares, yeah. nightmare performances at Wanderers Grounds. Um, so yeah, I, I think I think against Forge, probably look for pace because if I'm thinking of their back line, I don't think it's particularly quick, well, especially I, if you've got Suzuko at right yeah, back. Yeah, like I, I think that's, I think that's the part of their back line that you'd kind of want to mm. be. I don't think that's where they want him to be playing. No, I know. No. Like any time I've seen him play there, he hasn't been very good. Uh, he's a great technical footballer and that's still there to forever to see, but like being, playing in defense and on the left, it just doesn't seem to suit him whatsoever. So I definitely think he can be got at. And I think if uh, he's playing on the left and you have Fernandez and Daniels like pushing at him, he's going to make mistakes. Mm. Um, and I'm hoping that he gets uh, um, a, a nice welcome. It's <laughs> <laughs> oh, interesting, isn't it? Like, I, where do you stand on stuff like that? Like, um... like normally I don't care, but I, I still, I still like, it's like, you know, it wasn't like we got rid of him, and I think that's a different thing. Like if we if we get rid of a player like Simmons, for instance, don't have don't have any animosity against that man whatsoever because I thought he nah. did really well when he was here. He was solid, nice being, so, being seen as being surplus to requirements, yeah. and he went and he's built a great career for himself at Calgary. So when he comes along, great. But when somebody like leaves to better themselves, goes to <laughs> the, the USL, and then comes back and goes to a rival, I think that's a little bit different. You know what I mean? But I, I yeah, just know yeah. that I just know that. The crowd in Halifax are, for the most part, a, a, like a good bunch of people, and he's going to get a really good welcome. It's it's just it's what it's what Halifax does, right? I mean, like we're we're uh, and Sar got a few boos, didn't he, when he came back? Yeah, but I think it's, he didn't help himself though, because like when, I think when they oh, he's... Saw, when they yeah. scored when in one of the games, like he was like going ballistic and you know cheering and, and stuff like that. Mm. I think there's always that thing of like. When against your old team, you kind of be a little bit respectful, which I, I don't. <laughs> I, I hate that. I man. hate that. I I, I, yeah, um, yeah. I agree with you one hundred percent. But like you know, that I, I bet that probably roiled up a few people, and that's kind yeah, of like yeah. what happened there. But like I mean, I, I don't think we should give them that much thought to be honest. I really think that you know, for the first time, like like Forge are coming to town, and I'm actually excited, and I actually think that mm. we're going to do really well because they're suffering from injury problems too, and I, I think that like they're primed to be 
to be beaten. And I, I really hope that we do. But if it's me, if I was in Stephen Hart's shoes, like the Forge game is more important to me. Like, uh, I, I feel yeah. like you're on a hiding to nothing with the, the Toronto game. It's like, if you win, you're a legend. If you lose, people are going to be like, it's an MLS team. We're going to lose anyway, kind of thing. You know what I mean? So, yeah. I think the Forge game is way more important because I think the playoffs are a must for us this year. And I think mm. that's where we need to be. So and um, I, I think as well, momentum is probably the most underrated thing yeah. in football. Like, and if you beat Forge, that keeps the momentum going. Like that'd be four or five good performance in, performances in a row. Um, I, I always think back to the Island games and I, I I completely agreed with it at the time, playing a basically our complete reserve team against Pacific in the penultimate game and getting spanked six one. And I, I thought that was the right thing to do at the time, but it killed I, a lot of momentum. I, and... I hate that we did that. Like, like yeah, because <laughs> yeah, I, 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 I mentioned it to Stephen Hart. I think one of the press conferences afterwards. I was like, do you think mm-hmm. of it like, um, because he saying it was it's the same kind of thing for him. It was kind of he's on a hiding to nothing because he puts the the main team out and they get. Like you get injuries, and he's the biggest twat in the yeah. world, right? But then if he like puts out the reserve team, they get spanked like that. As you said, because there was enough players, like I think, like because he brought players on from the first team towards the end, trying mm. to shore things up, so we didn't get like even more of a hiding. And I, I just thought that really affected morale, and it was just such mm. a bad way to go into uh, yeah. the final, yeah. wasn't it? I think it retrospectively, you're 100%. But again, at the time, if I'm being consistent with what I felt like at the time, I remember seeing that lineup and going, thank fuck, because I was worried we were going to play all of our best players. So I understand it, but it did, yeah, it retrospectively, it killed momentum and it hurt morale. And, and I kind I, of think again, sorry, yeah, go on. Yeah, I thought that was the game that finished Alex de Carolis as a wanderer. Um, like, Lusso's mm. just tore him asunder. And he did, uh, didn't he? I think, and I think, like, seeing, Seen a player like that who was like a, I, I saw him as a kind of an integral part of the team, whether he was playing or not, because of his character and what he brought to the team as a person. Seeing somebody like that, like kind of just being torn asunder, probably didn't help morale whatsoever. No, you know? no. Yeah. I think the keeper retired the day after as yeah. well, didn't he? Yeah. So, yeah. Anyway, I don't want to think about that game. <laughs> That's gone. Um, your time. Yeah, so, your time. So, so I would, I would, I would go strong against Forge, play a fast team play a team that can attack down the wings and then, yeah, hope that that gives us some good momentum going into the Toronto game. As, as you mentioned, like, I mean, the, the, the Toronto have not been playing well whatsoever. And the fact that McNaughton's been playing so often, like I, I haven't been watching the games. I'm not really big into the MLS either, but um, I, I've kind of been keeping my eye on because I was interested in seeing how McNaughton and Caden Chung were doing. And he's played way more than what I thought he would, like McNaughton. I thought he was like literally going in as a reserve, but he's pretty much yeah. starting every game. And I think that's, more down to the fact that like the team is struggling and they've had injuries rather than him being and that's not to be a dick about it but like <laughs> you know what I mean say like he's just like he's shit and like he's just part of a bad team I, I, I just think that um he's playing way more than I even think he probably anticipated so there, there was just before uh we get your man in the match and stuff for that um we we, we were going to talk about uh so first of all well done to Derek Martin for fixing the uh, the bathroom situation at the grounds because... Oh, is it all right for you? There, there was hardly any cues for uh, the bathrooms, which is great. To, like, as I said, like the last time it was horrendous. So What changed? That, I, they just put more porta potties and stuff around the place. Uh, uh, like okay. Before, because they told people like the last time about these, like, uh, the, 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 they built like permanent washrooms or something. And I don't know, people didn't know where they were. I just They're coughed. behind the porta loose. 
yeah it's a, they're, whatever they're in yeah. a really weird position i don't think people knew they were there and it just caused all sorts of mayhem so yeah that was way better so well done derek on listening to the fans and doing what you said you would do but the announcer uh what is going on with this guy what the like what the fuck man <laughs> it's so like i i think it was like uh i can't remember what, what game it was. it was the edmonton game and i i gone to the washroom and like his like you know, like when you see those old clips of like Brazilian announcers going mm. go, and they're going on forever, uh, forever. It was like that, and it's it's getting gradually worse. Like it's really fucking annoying. We're not in Mexico. Think- <laughs> <laughs> so, like, what the, the the worst kind of person in the world is the English person, and it is always an English person who tries to tell North Americans how to do sport and how to do sport presentation. And that person is a dickhead. I completely agree. I promise everyone I'm not that person at all. But in uh, this you, instance... You, you, you totally are. Before we yeah. came on, you just complained, saying, like, the presentation is awful. Down the <laughs> but in, the, in this instance, like, yeah, he, he needs to chill the fuck out. He really needs to chill out. Like, in... In football, after a team scores, that is the most beautiful, pure, organic moment in a game. It's everyone just celebrating, losing their inhibitions, hugging each other, enjoying the moment, being and spill, cheering, fading, then rising again. It's it's beautiful and it's sacred. And to have that moment interrupted by someone yelling goal really, really loudly for a long time. And it, it gets to the point where you stop cheering and you wait for him to finish. And then he finishes and you're like, okay, we can get back to to, to cheering it, again. It really just, felt it really felt intrusive, didn't it? Like that he was intruding yeah. on like I never thought of it that way. Like, and it was kind of weird, like because I watched the game from the, the, the middle of the of the pitch for the first time. Like normally I'm always down in the, the kitchen end kind of thing. Mm. And and seeing that like I've never watched uh the the kitchen actually like explode like that. And it was kind of it's it's really it's it's really amazing to watch actually like when you see a goal going in and seeing the whole kitchen explode and it doesn't need anything else. That no. noise that they create down there and obviously the stands as well. But you know like they're obviously the noisiest crowd down there and seeing everybody like take off and score and celebrate the goal. It doesn't need anything else. It doesn't it, need like it doesn't need anything in, on top of it. <laughs> intrusive is is the word. It's like it's like watching a like a really peaceful David Attenborough nature documentary and then a, a fucking a fucking CGI T-Rex appearing on the screen and eating the little baby monkey that's eating its grapes. <laughs> it's like there's no, there's no need for that CGI T-Rex walking on, is there? <laughs> oh man, yeah, that, but like, that is I, best analogy like, for that. <laughs> It's fine. Like if 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 he does it for five seconds, it's actually fine. Like I think that's okay. Yeah. Like five seconds, like oh Halifax, that's absolutely fine. But it's just, it's the point where it's kind of he's making it about him. Look, look yeah. how long I can do this for. Like, and he's obviously he's obviously been practicing too, which is a sad thing. Yeah. He's been, <laughs> no. he's been at home, like in the, in the mirror, like the, and the family are probably like, "Fucking Jesus, Dad's <laughs> off again." They're like, just let him let him have his moment. Let him let him have his moment. <laughs> so um <laughs> I, I feel i feel harsh like like i think that probably works in a different sporting context which is which is fine and it's set, like for the moose heads amazing yeah exactly, I, I exactly. That. and obviously like we're a bit we're a bit chirpy because we we, we they scored in the last minute so we're just being kind of like whatever but um so i need to get your your, your man the match so who was your man the match for for this one i'm interested to see who you went with in this one in garcia 
Nice. Um, yeah, I, I thought that I agree with you. I thought this was his best performance of the season by a long way. I loved what he was doing. He he was a false nine, but he was also basically a 10 as well. He was really dropping deep and Salter and Bent were playing quite far ahead of him. And I thought he protected the ball really well, especially in the first half. Like there was a lot of, there was a, there was a level of technical security there with him that I don't think we've really seen for a long time where he, you can ping the ball in at him back to goal. He'll back his ass into a defender. He'll protect the ball. He'll lay it off. I, I think the next thing to come with him is in that position, trusting his body enough to body enough to spin the defender and trust his pace to like spin him and run him behind as well. That's to come. And I think it will come like I'm, I'm kind of on board with the Akeem redemption arc. Now I think it's coming and I think he's getting back to his level. So yeah, good performance. Really happy he scored from well, okay. It wasn't, truly open a truly open play but it wasn't a penalty either like happy to see him scoring by relying on his movement in the box and his finishing and stuff so yeah Akeem I thought he was really good it's funny you say that because like a lot of uh, the CPL players defenders I've talked on the show you kind of ask them that question of like who's the most difficult player you've played against and Akeem's name comes up came up so many times and I just think like you don't get bad overnight and I just think last season was a bit of a write-off and he's definitely getting back to um where he where he should be and i actually agree with you i i can't give it like i thought salter was phenomenal i think salter had a great game his yeah goals, he would have been my yeah been my second choice yeah. And, and his goal was like so well taken but i just think it would be like mean of me not to give it to came just to give it to somebody else and i i, I totally agree with you. i think it was uh an amazing performance so yeah man is, it was, is uh, that the first one we've agreed on first yeah, time we both so. said the same no, person no i mean we try to like not to, not mm. to do that because like you know we could like to um like, give it to different people but i just thought i just think that akeem's been through so much and um it was a hell of a performance against a really difficult backline i mean he gave yeah, Kreefer Yao, like a lot of a lot of trouble, and he's he's not a small guy, like so. Yeah, um, I I I, I totally I, I totally agree with you, and I'm I'm so happy for him, and I really hope we get to see him get back to. It. And I think the league needs like a star player again in in, in Halifax, because mm-hmm. like, obviously with Joby now, and I think Akeem's probably hopefully ready to step into the into the into the gap there. So yeah, man. So uh, thanks again for hanging out. It's been it's kind of cool, like looking back at the games. Because normally I just kind of go to the game and move on. I don't really analyze that much. I just kind of go like yeah. whatever. So it's kind of, it is kind of really interesting to kind of look back and uh, it's cool to see patterns, isn't it? Yeah. Like, oh, that, that happened when seeing like stuff getting fixed in real time as well. Like, Oh, that was bad last week, but now it's good. And yeah, I, yeah it's really I, interesting. I'm definitely watching the games in a different way too. Like, uh, you know, like I, I said, like, like watching it from the, the halfway line and even just being over the dugouts, like it's it's such an angle that like I've never seen before. Like I've never seen Stephen Hart actually coach. You know what I mean? Like I've seen yeah. him like over training and doing whatever. But like during the game day, being that kind of close to seeing what he actually does. Like T- Tommy Whelan Jr. was like straight into the technical area. And he's kind of pacing about and doing whatever. Where Stephen just seems to be very analytical and he kind of watches the game and see what's happening. And then like when he does get up off the the seat and goes out and barks something the players immediately like turn around it's like it's like your dad giving out to you or something you know what i mean like it's like they immediately their heads swung and and over all that noise they, they like they're they hear him and they're they're watching what he wants them to do it's it's really really interesting to see and uh, I, I love yeah i love hearing stuff like that like that's 
one of my favorite things just hearing what coaches are saying half the time because like it's a game we've watched all our lives but when you actually spend 90 minutes listening to the stuff a coach is saying it's it's like lifting up the hood of the car, isn't it? And seeing how it all works inside and yeah, fascinating. And I, I, I think sometimes like 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 kind of cool like little things is like stuff that you notice and then you see the, the coach kind of doing it in the game. You're kind mm. of like, yeah. <laughs> could do but this. Yeah. No, I never said that. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, man, thanks for hanging out again. It's